Marco. You know, Sean. I, I have a story for you. Oh, I love you, stories. You, you have it. to know. You have to know what the title of the story is, given the topic <laughs> of today's comment. Usually, it. you start with it was a it was a, a dark and stormy night. A dark <laughs> and stormy night, exactly, exactly. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna not make it about a weather event in any specific location. We're gonna switch it and talk about a uh, an entity, <laughs> a, a person, perhaps uh, somebody within an organization, good or evil. I don't know. We're gonna see where this goes. Uh, but this is part of our chats on the road series, and I'm in the Batmobile. What are you? Uh, what are you driving to Vegas, Marco? I mean, we do. I'm like wearing yellow, <laughs> green, and red. I'm robbing my, right now. You're my co-pilot. All right. I'm your All co-pilot. Right, so. <laughs> so now I'm afraid I have to ask what uh, Kate and Kat, who have joined us for this, uh, what appears to be a silly conversation already, uh, what what you'll be. Uh, taking for your journey what what uh what transportation mode are you uh are you going to be hailing for uh, your trip to vegas at black hat usa 2023 Kat, you want to go first <laughs> <laughs> like, my answer is not practical though my answer is the the intense motorcycle that batman ran or Ooh. that he rode in i think it was the dark knight the christopher nolan series and it could switch directions so I'll be riding that from DC all the way to Vegas. Uh, so you can escape quickly if you need to. I get it. Yeah. I get it. You can change your mind. <laughs> or if you win time. lots of money, you can quickly reverse and take it away. So I'm going to shamelessly leverage my network of DC Universe heroes and then jump in Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet. Uh-huh. And then just roll oh, that way because the airport's right there by the strip. Oh, that's true. That's true. Love it. There is more. Love it. All right. So people who are listening have heard, and if you're watching, you've seen, you see names. Um, but I think we need to do a formal introduction for our two guests, Marco. So uh, Kat and Kate uh, have put together a session at Black Hat, and they've, they've uh, politely agreed <laughs> to join us to, to understand what it is they're going to be presenting during that session. And uh, Kat and Kate, if you don't mind maybe sharing a few words about your roles and what you're up to and then uh whomever wants to take it kind of the, the catalyst behind putting this session together i can definitely go with the intros first um uh, but right. i will have to admit the catalyst is definitely a combination of two to one so i don't think either one of us can take credit <laughs> all right but uh, my name is kat self i started my infosec journey actually at target where i was a software developer went to become a red teamer specializing in Mac and then eventually jumped over into the threat hunting, which is super fun because it's that full purple team experience. Then MITRE stole me away and I was hired on as an adversary emulation engineer where I was exposed to attack evaluations. And um, on attack evaluations, I was able to develop, I was actually the CTI team lead for a while where we chose adversaries. Um, we developed them into emulation plans and then we executed those emulation plans for the industry. Um, and then I eventually just moved into uh, malware development <laughs> is a fancy term for adversary adversary emulation engineer. Um, and then now I kind of head up uh, multiple projects under that, that same vein. But I'm also the macOS and Linux lead for attack, so or MITRE attack, which 
hopefully some of you have heard of. Um, I'm one of the maintainers. I'm the one that you get to blame if Linux and Mac OS is missing certain techniques. So feel free to shoot emails. Really don't like email. So shoot Slack messages my way and I'll probably respond to you via Slack quicker than email. It's a thing. So that's all about me. So let me transfer you to Kate, who I just have a special place in my heart for. The feeling is mutual. Um, I'm Kate. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Um, so I've been working at MITRE for a year and a half now. Um, I work as a senior CTI analyst. I actually came to MITRE initially with the blessing of working directly under CAT um, on the attack evaluations project. So I really got thrown into the world of adversary emulation and I've kind of never looked back since. Um, my background is not actually in adversary emulation at all. I came from a um, embedded Intel role at Meta, formerly known as Facebook. Um, and before that, I was working about five years in Latin America security and affairs. So kind of kind of hit a bunch of different points in my career, but um, it's great to be here. So Nice one. And I, I want to do this because... I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of MITRE and the attack framework and a lot of the other stuff that your your team, your broader team is doing. Um, but maybe just a, a quick word on MITRE and MITRE attack, and then maybe a transition to a definition of what uh, adversarial simulation is as part of that. Definitely. So MITRE is a nonprofit. They've been in the cybersecurity space for about 50 years where they're kind of like a thought leader and advisor. That's really the position that MITRE takes. We don't have any real stake. There's not like, it's not like every quarter we get our stocks back. There's, there is none of that, I can assure you, painfully so. And so it's, it's a nonprofit and whole moral of the story, right, is we try to make the world a safer place. It's not just our area, it's actually the entire world. So, which is actually one reason why we really wanted to focus on Latin American adversaries, right? Which Kate will definitely speak to during the talk and you'll be able to understand that entire landscape with her commentary. But MITRE um, launched MITRE ATT&CK. Fun fact, that came from <laughs> a CSV file. Um, and then it is what it is today, which is amazing because it was observations based off of blue and red engagements, right? How do we talk to each other? And what's really neat is that's actually led into attack evaluations, which is how do we provide an evaluation to help raise the standard of the industry, to provide transparency, right? Between I said I can do this, but can I actually do this, right? How do we create this environment and space to be able to have transparency while also making sure it's this like equal playing field, right? Where everyone's got the same information or operating from the same knowledge base, which is what attack evaluations does, right? It takes MITRE attack and using MITRE attack, we build out evaluations. And then I will, even though I'm the adversary, I'm an engineer, I'm going to let Kate take the discernment between of what adversary emulation actually is. Yes, which we will cover in full detail in our talk with some references to Batman and Batgirl. Just a little bit of a surprise there. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad you asked this because I think the industry still maybe conflates the two. Adversary emulation is essentially taking, is looking at, on a whole picture, what an adversary does at every single phase of an attack. What techniques are they doing? 
not only what makes them unique, but what are some kind of tried and true methods they also use? Um, what are they doing for initial access? So it's taking kind of a holistic picture and really getting in the details of this particular actor. You know, what types of victims do they go after? What is their action on objectives? You know, what do they ultimately want to do? So it's taking all that information and basically replicating it in a scenario. Um, so for us, it's kind of, we always talk about adversary emulation as there's not a lot of room for flexibility, um, which we will definitely cover in our talk. I think sometimes it's hard as, you know, analysts and developers in doing an emulation because there's not a lot of room for, oh, well, it would be so much easier just to do this. It would be so much easier to just RDP into the environment. Can't we do this? Nope, because that is not maintaining the integrity of what the actor would actually do. Now, simulation is taking some of those components of a particular adversary, but having more room for flexibility, right? So simulation might be, might look something like, okay, we have our adversary. We're going to take a couple of components of their privilege escalation, but then also add in a couple of other components that other adversaries do. So it's kind of more of a blend. Um, and it's a little, again, there's more room for that flexibility and interpretation. Um, so our presentation is going to focus specifically on emulation and why that helps network defenders. Well, I'm going to let Sean dive into the technicality of it, but I want to touch on the fact that we started with all these weird vehicles, kind of like superhero-ish, and before starting the, 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 the recording, we even asked each other, or at least you asked me, which was my favorite superhero, and I say Spider-Man, and there is a, a very famous quote about that with great power comes great responsibility, which is very well connected to the quote you have here about Batman, which I'm going to let you guys say that because it's been part of your presentation, which is like you, you have a thin line between being the hero and being the bad guy. But I think it, the real good guy, the real hero, needs to, as we learn from, you know, even the art of war or, or Machiavelli, the prince, that you need to know your enemy. And that's why I would like to make a point here that it's not that you you go that much outside of the scope when you try to simulate the villain. You, you have to. You can't just build a wall and say, hey, it looks good from the inside. Um, but how how is it going to work with the attacker? So I think isn't this supposed to be a, a very common approach in the industry or on miter? kind of brought something completely new to the table of cybersecurity. Who's going to talk on this one? Go ahead, go ahead. Both. Right, yeah, all right. But, but, um, but not at the same time. So yes, that with great power comes great responsibility, absolutely. Um, and that is actually something we actually had to take into account as we release the software, right? One of the things that we do is we not only release all the screenshots into these billion dollar companies, so you can see what you're paying for essentially, right? We also release all, at least majority of the code that we used during the evaluation. So that way you can run it in your own environments. You can see how this does against tools that you already have, right? So with that said, one of the things that MITRE, the thing that MITRE actually brings to the table, if we can just break this up, adversary emulation is not new. 
nor are we like rock stars and look at us like we're those shiny new objects. No, no. But most people don't have the problem set of let's, can your emulation run against every single defender, right? That has a product for detection and protections and their unique snowflake solutions. Because I can tell you right now, that is a really complicated problem to be able to emulate for. There's a lot of considerations. We actually go over kind of some pivot points that we have to have with these considerations because we can emulate something exactly. But then does it run in the environment against this vendor who has an entirely different kernel? Because that's how their EDR, like that's how their endpoint, like their protections and detections are deployed, right? Or does it work against this one, which doesn't even ever enter into user land? They're just solidly into kernel, right? So all of these different protections and detection companies have to come to the table in the same environment. And we have to be able to have an emulation plan that is as non-biased and objective as possible um, done in a two month period of time, two to three month period of development time where nation states get four, five, six, 10 years to develop these things over time. And we're also deploying these things in environments that they're not necessarily um, initially deployed to, right? Some of these tools that we've done for previous adversaries we're done in air-gapped environments. That means their C2 communication is going to be very different. It's going to be a very linear communication channel, right? There's going to be different dependencies that they're doing. Um, we don't necessarily know the environment variables they're pulling from because some absolutely pull from those. We don't necessarily know the shared objects that they're using because those were never released in a public reporting. So there's certain considerations that just put us in a different, a different category that absolutely does make us bleeding edge in this regard because not many people have to operate with the amount of limitations and trying to align as hard as we do to the line of CTI, which Kay can speak more to. Yeah, and just to add on, because I think that transparency component that Kat talked about is really important and integral to kind of our why we do what we do. I would agree, like adversary emulation as a practice is not necessarily new in the industry, but I think a key differentiating factor um, and what we do with regards to emulation is the fact that we are transparently releasing our methodology. We release the results of every single emulation round. We release all of our plan, all of our code. And a key kind of takeaway that we're hoping the audience gets from our presentation is, hey, adversary emulation is a lot more accessible as a practice than you think. I think sometimes in the industry, smaller organizations who might not have a whole department or whole team dedicated to adversary emulation. I think those smaller industry folks sometimes feel like, you know, they may lack the resources or um, personnel to carry out something like this. Um, and we're kind of trying to change that notion and make um, adversary emulation more accessible by just lowering the bar of entry. Well, it's because they're, spending nine of their 12 hours that day patching crap, <laughs> right? And so maybe if they had a better view of what, what's really going on and what matters, uh, they can get out of patch land and and in more of a control land and mitigation land. Um, I want to... I want to look at the the role because you mentioned I think you said simulation. Now we're all we're talking all about emulation here, and I think you described the difference between those two. Simulation seems safer, but then maybe a little more generic. 
in my perspective. And then emulation is where you actually get in there and in your, in your session description, you talk about the red teamer coming in and working with CTI. And I immediately turn to tools that go in and, and they, they act and execute and, and emulate what you're trying to pretend to be or uh, replicate being, which has some danger that a simulation doesn't bring to the table. So how, how do you, and this isn't the tool being used for nefarious purposes, this is somebody using it for good reason, for a good cause, but it takes, perhaps takes a step too far and knocks a system over or, or uh, exposes something that uh, we didn't want it to. So did you have to take that into account as you're working on this? And, and how, do you, how do you help the teams that actually end up using this uh, walk that fine line if, if they have to. Are you talking about like deploying this in production environments? Yes. Okay. I'm assuming like you're referring to like. I'm thinking like pen tests and, and things okay. like that where, yeah, Red Teamer would be called in unknowingly to to explore. And I don't know if this is the purpose of this is to, to do something like that or not. But I mean, there's a lot of tools out there that already conduct this, like specifically Atomic Red Team, right? But the isolated tests, um, you're looking at like different vendors have their own formalities of these, right? Where they're running these small, like isolated scenarios. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. And I'm wondering what what you've built, how does it relate to that and fit in with that? And mm -hmm. what are the, some of the considerations you had to make and the teams have to make based on what you built? So the power behind attack evaluations, and at least, honestly, this is more from feedback from the community that I've had. Um, because when you're doing it, you're kind of like, I'm just doing the thing, <laughs> you know? You're like, I do it, I build it, I deploy it, and we're done, next. Um, so fortunately, I've been on the attack evaluations team long enough to actually get some feedback from different industry professionals that use this. Here's the main three use cases that I've seen attack evaluations used. Outside of the, <laughs> the people that request the binaries, for the hash to put in their AVs. Outside of that really specific, do not endorse that, but understand it scenario. Um, one of them is uh, being able to deploy it and collect all the data and artifacts so they can threat hunt it. Like specifically uh, Threat Hunters Forge, right? Roberto Rodriguez did that for APT29, where he pulled in the emulation plan, ran it in an environment and collected all the artifacts and then was able to use that as a hunting use case. Um, and then other ones have been translating it into like micro what we have just come out with as like micro emulation plans or smaller emulation plans or atomic red team tests. Um, and then another one has been primarily the fact that this simulation plan builds on each step. So a lot of times one of the things that's missing in a lot of these automated environments, right, is you go in, you launch, you do it and you're done. But there's a lot of like discovery information that you kind of have to have prior to. And it doesn't necessarily have the same exact timestamps every time, right? It's not this automated, not, not everything is automated. Um, and so, but this discovery creates this, they exfil this file that then builds up this database of knowledge. Now I can know like, okay, I've collected this known host file and I've also collected these keys and I collected these keys from these other people. So now I have like a collection of all of this information now, how do I take all of this and then scan the environment using this very targeted information, move laterally using A, B, and C technique? Then once I move laterally, I do additional internal reconnaissance, right? Like those really meaty, very like 
not clean and clear repeatable instructions are really what attack evaluations I think gives you. And also along with the diversity and the complexity of what a scenario actually provides. Yeah, and I would add also, I think, I think sometimes when we, I have conversations with people in the industry, they're like, well, why do you need CTI for this? Like, what do you bring to the table? Which is a fair question, but I think that is something, it's an additional value add, it's additional context that we provide around the adversary, but also with attack evaluations, we're always thinking about the impact we're trying to have on the industry. So it's not even necessarily, we're only thinking about the vendors, we're thinking about it from the perspective of like, before we even select an adversary, what are our goals and objectives? Like, what are we seeing in industry right now? Maybe it's cloud exploitation. Maybe it's, um, you know, like super stealthy techniques. And I think that kind of component is the, it forms a foundation of threat informed defense because we continuously go back to those goals and objectives throughout the creation of the emulation scenario. Um, and that's not necessarily a impact that you could have with automated tools, if that makes sense. Actually, uh, make me wonder, how do you decide what is your next challenge, right? I mean, in this case, you say you're going to use as a, as a real world villain case, uh, Latin America, and I'm wondering why. So that's one question. And then the, the second follow-up question is, how do you decide what is the next one that you need to focus on? Do you have some magic formula to, to get to that? You look around what's going on. What's uh, what, what's the story there? And uh, I don't know, Kate, maybe you want to talk about the, the Latin America scenarios? Yeah, sure. If, if you want me to stand on my soapbox, I will happily stand on my soapbox. Um, so <laughs> I do focus on Latin American adversaries. Um, we spoke about at the beginning that that is a region that is quite underreported um, in larger industry, but there are definitely cyber adversaries doing very interesting things. I will not get into why I think it's underreported. Um, I think that's a whole separate podcast, but one of the reasons why we chose a Latin American adversary for this particular presentation is it because it underscores our objective of making everything more accessible in the community. And I think when it comes to the cyber industry, we tend to focus on four big countries, right? Because, you know, Russia, DPRK, China, and Iran, I'm not going to lie to you, they're very sophisticated actors doing a lot of damage from those countries. And so I completely understand the focus of the industry and CTI reporting. I completely understand that. But at the same time, there are victim organizations around the world being targeted by other actors. And I think that deserves recognition. And so bringing it back to our presentation, you know, we kind of wanted to use this opportunity to not only have Kate have her Latin America fun, but also to reach a community that might not even know about evals yet, or might not be um, completely included in conversations around adversary emulation. And um, that community that we're really talking about is the community in Latin America as well. So attack evaluations is, has a global focus. And I think because of that, we need to have a more global mindset in the way that we go about selecting adversaries. 
Very cool. So what's going to be the next one? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, or yeah, if you don't want to tell me that, if you don't want to tell me that, tell me how you select potentially the next one. You got to come to the talk. What do you look at? Yeah, come to the talk. All right. Okay. Like, just to clarify about our adversary selection in evals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. So kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, we definitely set goals and objectives. We track industry developments, you know, throughout the year and we have regular discussions so that we're keeping on track of those trends. Those feed into our ultimate goal, right? Um, that's going to serve as the common point of the emulation plan. Now, when it comes to adversary selection, we have a whole slide dedicated to this. Um, but in brevity, I will say we have a certain baseline criteria that we need to meet that surprisingly not a lot of actors meet, um, especially as it relates to our initial objectives. Um, and then the other really hard thing sometimes is we try not to repeat actors. So we're you know coming up on almost six rounds of enterprise evaluations, almost two rounds of managed services. Um, so we've used a lot of actors and we try not to to you to repeat them so all right so i i have to ask how does this fit in so and i'll ask the question in a different way um i presume you want cti and and red blue purple teamers to join you for your session there may be others you can you can let me know if there are um what do you want them to walk away with how can how can they take action after hearing you share what you're what you've put together for the session? Is it a, a change to the way they think? A change to the tooling? A change to uh, culture? A change to operations? All the above? None of the above? I've completely missed the mark. <laughs> what what do you uh, what do you want folks to to take take away? Go ahead, Pat. I'll speak to the adversary emulation side. Um, we've really structured this talk to be able to showcase, honestly, the really tough challenges we've had. Like as a team, we've had to overcome so many tough decisions and try to and know that we're going to have to publicly publicly present our decisions and then be able to back why. And that puts you in a very tough position when it's not just your manager or your leadership being like, why'd you do it that way? So we've been very systematic about that. And the thing that we've really had to break down is silos. 100% we have had to break down the silo between CTI and RED, um, the silo between infrastructure and uh, the other two teams, the silos between blue teams and CTI and blue teams and RED and blue teams and infra. Um, and then even in tooling, like breaking our the way we think about what is available to what is it that we actually need and asking hard questions and having the humility to come back to the table and being like, I can't do this is there's got to be an alternate method, right? Like I don't like given these constraints, by the way, I have constraints. I didn't even know I had constraints until now, which makes your team change everything that they just gave me. Right. So 
this, there's this constant collaboration that we talk about in our talk and we use very specific products and we've geared these very specific products that each team produces because they're the most viable thing. They, they're the most viable item that we've had that has forced collaboration and it has created the space for collaboration. And then the rest of it's all up to the humans. Completely agree. I would also say going, it's kind of our talk focuses on the true spirit of what it is to purple team, right? Like every, like Kat just mentioned, we have infrastructure, we have blue team, red team, um, CTI, even, you know, what we call our white team who lead vendors through things. Every single of one of those disciplines deserves a amount of respect and every single one of those disciplines cannot necessarily be done by the other teams, right? So it's this constant back and forth. And what we kind of hope to communicate too is why should you care about adversary emulation if you're an end user? Like if you're maybe a, from an organization that could see themselves participating in an attack evaluation in the future, that's awesome. But we're also gearing this talk for just end users, for network defenders. Um, you know, how does answering questions of like, how does adversary emulation give you different points in data and a different, more enriched level of knowledge than anything else, than pen testing, than automated simulation? That's a key question that we're seeking to answer in our talk as well. Yeah, and I can see um, I, I can see those teams like the, the network defenders um, perhaps seeing signs or seeing trends or seeing threads or something else coming from this uh, that perhaps changes the way they think about how they put controls in place. So rather than having a super complex, multi-system, multi-rule set of uh, policies and controls, maybe there's a different way to, to package that up that's a little more stable, <laughs> a little more, uh, a little less uh, headache, hair pulling uh, to, to manage day to day. I don't know. I'm just making something up there, but I can see that. And the other thing, uh, based on what you described, Kate, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can also see where somebody like a CISO might have uh, some learnings in here for breaking down those barriers. I mean, you had to do it. I don't know how much detail you described there, but uh, in the session, but I can see where, I mean, the CISOs battle with this all the time, right? They, they don't trust the other teams to, to uh, maybe, they, maybe they trust them to do what they're told to do, but not embrace security uh, like they want them to and or need to and that so i think breaking down those barriers and and uh forced collaboration as you called it uh, there's probably some key learnings in there for the executive level and security leadership i'd suspect so um i want to I, I think we're probably getting close to to time here i think and i'd love to have you back maybe to talk more about uh Latin America thing, and, and perhaps we can dig deeper. I had had a few folks in where we, uh, it was Katie Ryan and, and Fred Wilmot uh, talking about how to operationalize this. So actually digging deeper into uh, how, how to bring attack into a security program. And this is 
early days before sore was sore and things like that. But anyway, we can, I'm happy to talk about how, how we bring that in, but maybe a final call from each of you, uh, a little teaser or a little, a little nugget you want to share for your session to, uh, to get people to, to join you at, at Black Hat there. Kat. I'd say probably the coolest thing that we found was there are certain things that you learn only through emulation. That'll lend itself to like what the adversary actually did versus what reporting actually says. Interesting. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, mine would be there is more of a let's show you rather than let's tell you element to this presentation where we will show exactly how we emulated this adversary in Latin America. Rather than tell you all about it, let's show you. That's all I'll say. That's the true spirit of uh, emulation as well, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have to follow our own rules. Way, way better than a report. <laughs> better than a report. Well, I'm, I'm super grateful for the two of you for doing what you do with MITRE and, and all the effort you put into, into that and, and to this session. I know it's not easy getting, getting a spot at Black Hat uh, to be able to speak and connect with the community there. So congratulations on that. I'm, I'm uh, excited to hear how that goes. It's becoming a dark night, adversary emulation demonstration for attack evaluations. Kat and Kate, it's on uh, Wednesday the 9th, 1.30 Pacific there at Black Hat USA right 2023. After. And uh, you don't want to miss it, that's for sure. Um, of course, for those listening and watching in the notes for this episode, we'll include a link to the session, uh, Kat and Kate's uh, profiles on social media, whatever they want to share there, so you can connect with them. And uh, yeah, we'll include other resources uh, that, that Kat and Kate want to share. Uh, links to attack, links to uh, evaluations, links to resources, not, not anything that gives away the session yet, but uh, anything you want to share, we'll include in the show notes. And of course, Marco, we're, we're still on the road. I'm in, I'm in the Batmobile still. We're not quite there. We have more sessions to record, more stories to tell. Uh, we have, we have told quite a bit. We have told a lot. I, I think there are a lot of more stories to tell and this one in particular for me that I'm not so deep into the technicality of it, but it, it all makes so much sense. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the superpower here is to kind of like really understand and foresee the future. Because if you if you know your enemy, you can actually, it's a, it's a great investment. I'm, I'm thinking all you've been saying, put it into the business mentality, right? On why should I budget for this? Because it makes sense. Otherwise you're gonna whack them all. <laughs> all the problem when you can actually have a much better focus as sean said to really put the control in place so i've learned a lot i'm excited for all that the people will learn at the actual session there and uh it was nice to have you on and um, i hope everybody will just keep uh, listening to us our coverage and uh, subscribe and definitely go to this session sounds like a lot of fun if you are into this kind of thing of course and superheroes which should be. Uh, All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank we'll you. See you, uh, see you on the road to Vegas. Enjoy. Keep well. Stay safe.